Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. Come. Come in and welcome to you. Better, isn't it? You know I truly hate hot weather, but deep abiding cold weather can cause, well, crabby arrivals and departures. So come in at your leisure. It's nearly 20 degrees out there, and we can stand here, chat in the open doorway for as long as you like. Except for Mahler. Whenever the door is open for any length of time, he typically scoots out. Then, of course, he has nowhere to go and just stands in the hall being very, very dark and frequently invisible. So one has to feel around to find him and bring him back. Anyway, come. Come in. Unwrap. Choose a bowl of treats. Have a drink. Warm, cool, hot, cold, as you will. Tonight, here in the nook at Tales to Terrify, the podcast of the year, as far as the This Is Horror people go. Tonight, we continue with our recognition of women in horror for the month of February. We'll snuggle down with our best chum and hear two tales by two Australian women, Felicity Dowker and Karen Warren. Okay, now listen, before I go much further... Uh, it's maybe obvious. I'm not feeling very well tonight. I, I feel as though I should be lying abed, being succored by Ms. Cecilia and the various beasts of the nook, watching bad horror films and dozing as the doze strikes me. So I tell you this so you know that my part tonight will be somewhat limited, probably laid back. My apologies, but there it is. So, if... You now are snuggled, treated, settled. We begin with a wonderful story that skirts genres, horror, fantasy. What is it? It is by Karen Warren. This has always intrigued me now about Karen Warren. Karen actually lived in Fiji. Yeah, Fiji, a place... I always wanted to visit when I became old enough to look through the steel plate engravings and etchings in Wood's Natural History of Islanders and 
and the like, and looking at the photographs in the National Geographic anyway. Karen says that when they decided to go to Fiji, she imagined it as an island paradise, which she says it is partially, but mostly it isn't. The islands and resorts are what we know about, but it is an incredibly layered place, she says. The culture, the people, the history actually inspired a lot of her work. Well, Karen now lives in Canberra, Australia, with her husband, children, and two cats, and apparently she has rats in the roof, she says. Without messing about any further, here is Karen Warren's Working for the God of the Love of Money. A cut or a bruise appears on your body, he says. You don't remember where it came from. You go over your movements to identify the moment of injury, and you worry about memory loss when the answer doesn't come. Then you forget it. The matter fades as the bruise fades, as the cut heals. If you were to mark into your diary the times this occurred, you would not be kept busy over the course of a year. Around Christmas... Most people would have a mark. Other times would depend on the individual's area of vulnerability. The anniversary of a death, perhaps, or an affair. A birthday, or a good day at work, or a bad day leading to recklessness. Anything which may cause you to give a coin to a child with black hair, enormous purple eyes, teeth so white they reflect the sun as he grimaces. He is short, or tall, if you are short, and thin. He looks hungry, and you think his face will never leave you, but you forget him in an instant. You forget him as soon as you hand him the coin he has requested. You keep your fingers around your wallet or purse so he can't see the notes there, can't see your driver's license to come round to your address and ask for more, can't see the picture of your lover or child so he can't think of them as his own. This is why you so rarely give coins. You don't trust the collectors. This is why the purple-eyed boy wants your coin so much. You hand over the coin, and you forget the boy, he says. And within a week or two, you have an unexplained cut or bruise. The purple-eyed boy's name was Tom. He had been with the god for many years. He liked the work, involved travel, and it was an outdoor job. He rose as soon as the sun did, because he slept well. He slept in a broad bed, slept like a starfish in a dark room, the god did not allow him to have a light in his bedroom. Night is for sleeping, said the god, and sleep is important. But the god's room was filled with light. It slid under his door like a living fungus, and Tom heard him snuffling and grunting in there all night. He was an incurious child, turned that way by fear. The god liked to talk about the others who held the position before him. Better off not keeping any money for yourself, said the god. I had a boy called Richard once, a boy like you. He worried about the money so much he choked on a coin. It swelled up and filled his throat so he couldn't breathe for all the money in the world. Tom did not remember any other life than this. He did not think about the lives of other people. He always returned to the god after his day's work. Freedom is overrated, the god told him. I had a boy who looked like you once. Gerald wanted to talk about freedom, but no one tells you anything when you're locked up in jail. Just the other inmates, and all they tell you is how pretty you are. Pretty, pretty. How they love you and how lonely they are. Do you know about loneliness, Tom? Tom nodded. Tom knew the god did terrible things. He went out and did terrible things, then came home to rest. Each time, Tom would have to work hard on the streets to collect the coins, then in the kitchen to melt them into a liquid the god could work with. He wasn't to rest during the melting time. Each coin had to be plopped into the cauldron and stirred. Plop and stir, plop and stir, and there were thousands of coins at a time. If he paused in his stirring for a moment, the god would roar from wherever he was, and Tom's ears would burn. Then Tom could rest for a day or two, 
eat and sit in the garden, breathe and sit. The god stayed down in the basement, building his armor. The god looked very handsome when he left home in his suit made of coins. He had gloves and socks, pants and a full jacket. He had a hat with a flap to cover his face. The whole thing glistened and shivered. He would come back from a trip with rips and scratches and give the suit to Tom to throw away. Tom would begin his job on the street again, collecting coins from the people. It took a lot of coins to make a suit, but the god could wait. He had patience. Where did that cut come from? You might remember the boy if I describe him to you. His eyes are purple, like the moment before dawn when you haven't slept, when he lay there all night and begged for sleep. The hair is black as the devil's soul. The teeth are white. They smile at you with love so you can't help but hand over a coin. The god was very old and very cruel. He only killed people who were loved. He wanted those left behind to suffer. He killed people whose greed brought them across his path. Even if the greedy moment had occurred a long time ago and the meeting was only a distant consequence, he took risks to complete his tasks though truly the risks were not great, because he was in no danger, not with his suit on, not with people suffering cuts and bruises for him. The closest he came to danger was when one of Tom's predecessors had become lazy and stolen coins from a church charity box. These coins had passed through fewer hands and provided a weak link. He had dived into the water with a little girl and stayed under, his golden fingers digging into her flesh his eyes seeing well through the mesh of his mask. He watched her face, her eyes, felt her pathetic struggle. Then he began to choke. The weakened suit only just gave him time to anchor the body into the mud in the bed of the river and rise carefully to the surface. After he made his new suit, he disposed of his lazy assistant. He told Tom the stories of his predecessors because he wanted Tom to learn from their mistakes. Tom would stay young as long as he stayed loyal. He smells like lavender in an ancient closet, or of your mother, or of whatever makes you feel guilty. Tom was a fearful boy, and he did as the god told him. He listened when the god spoke, and did not ask for food when he was hungry or sleep when he was tired. The god began to trust him, to want to impress him. So Tom heard how the god spent his hours, then he began to accompany him on his outings. Tom did not have the stomach for his employer's job. He did not like other people, but he did not hate them either, and the sound of tears made him sad. The god began to give him presents, and more food, and sometimes Tom didn't have to work. He just wandered around the house, looking at his presents. He began to feel the god loved him. And one day, after an enormous meal of quail, seafood, chocolate, cake, cheese, over and over, the god smiled at him. They were slightly hysterical with food, the god describing a moment of great pleasure, and Tom laughed at the description of a man trying to resuscitate his wife when she had a cut throat. She wasn't choking at all, and his air just blew straight out her neck. They laughed, blowing and puffing for a while. Then Tom said, Poor husband, though and laughed again. The god did not laugh. He stared at Tom, then left the table. Tom thought of ways to leave the god, to kill him, or leave him dying, or tie him up and run away. He was made of flesh like everyone else, just strangely put together. He would die if you stabbed him or smothered him. He could poison him and he would collapse and Tom would be the savior of many. The god invited Tom in to watch the making of the suit, and Tom thought he had been forgiven. The stuff was poured into a large vat, where it shimmered and steamed. Tom felt his skin burning as he watched, and later, when he looked in the mirror, he saw that his nose and cheeks were softly blistered. Now you see, Tom, can you smell it? Smell the greedy sweat from those people's palms. He handed Tom a coin. The special ingredient, he said. It was an ancient coin, dented by the centuries. A Roman coin. Don't find many of those on the street, hey boy, said the god. Tom preferred him to be silent. This choking, this camaraderie, was terrifying. The god told Tom to drop the coin into the vat, and short flames burst out, reaching for Tom. He jumped back. It's hot, he whispered. Very hot. The god threw off his robe. He was naked beneath. 
His skin was vast and white, his stomach distended as if from some huge feast, though he had not eaten, Tom was certain of that. His penis was engorged. Tom laughed at its hugeness. It couldn't be real. It was stuck on. The god turned to face him. Can't have that, he said. The erection shrank into his body. He climbed two steps to the rim of the vat. He tested the liquid with one toe, playing the fool for Tom's benefit. Just right, he said, and he sank into the bubbling metal. For one moment, Tom thought he had been released. He thought the god had killed himself to free Tom because he loved him like a son and didn't want him to live like this anymore. And Tom could have cried for that love because no one had loved him like that. He stepped closer to the vat and stared over, hoping for a glimpse to remember the god by. The metal was drawing together and shaping. It shaped a face, legs, a stomach. It shaped arms, and the god rose from his bath. Tom whimpered now because he knew he would die. He knew the god would not let him see this and live. The god shook like a dog, and drops of hot metal flew from him. One landed on Tom's cheek, and he smelt burnt flesh before he raised his sleeve to brush it away. Off to work, said the god, his voice molten, not strident or mean, but seductive. Beautiful. Why don't you come along? Tom hated to go out with a god. He watched things he could not stop without risking his own life. They went walking through the city streets where Tom had done his best work. The god watched him collecting for a while. He amused himself while Tom worked. He passed his hand into the stomach of a woman who intended to sell her baby once it was born, and he gave a squeeze. The mother barely felt a thing. She would not know until her baby was born dead. Tom collected the coins and watched the god. They found a blind man standing on the curb of a road busy with cars, but empty of people. He was puffing in an effort not to weep. He could not see the purple eyes or the golden suit. He only heard the soft, seductive voice. "'Are you okay?' asked the god. I "'I'm a bit lost,' said the blind man. "'I'm a bit stupid. I told my family I would be fine on my own. But I'm lost now. I can't cross the road.' There's plenty of cars coming. Now, a break, no, wait, after this car, then go. Tom watched as the god led the blind man directly into the path of a bus. Both disappeared under the wheels. The god rolled out the other side, scratched and leaping with excitement. Tom was brave, but he was not happy to die either. As he stirred the pot for the next suit, he thought and remembered and planned. He heard every tale the god had to tell, and remembered much the god had forgotten telling him. He had a little money of his own, paper money the god had no interest in. He bought new coins, coins encased in plastic, never touched by human hands. On the day he meant to leave the god, Tom tried to keep the excitement out of his step as he descended to the kitchen. The god never rose before afternoon. His business went late into the night, and he slept in. Tom lit the large stove and set the cauldron ready. He began to drop the coins and watched each melt, watched the liquid spread, each coin becoming part of the golden fluid. He waited till the pot was half full. He dropped more coins and more. Then he heard the heavy footfall of the god pushing his body out of bed. Tom's whole body shook as he took the plastic folders from his pocket and, still stirring, tore them open with his teeth. Being careful to keep the rhythm perfect, he plopped the brand new, untouched coins into the pot and stirred. The plastic he shoved back into his pocket. The god moved silently, and Tom smelled him first. A smell of metal and a smell of heat. When will the material be ready? he asked, though he saw for himself. Tom thought the mixture smelt different and hoped the god wouldn't notice. One more hour, said Tom. The god bent over the pot and sniffed deeply. He nodded and went to sun himself. It was hot in the room. The god made a new suit and went out. He didn't talk to Tom. Already, Tom barely existed. The god did not return. Tom's limbs began to ache. His hair grayed, fell out. His fingernails grew long and ragged. He couldn't see well. He couldn't hear. He breathed loudly through his nose. 
He received back the fifty years stolen from him, and he knew the god must be dead. He took nothing from the house. He wanted nothing. He went to a hostel, where until he died he swept floors and cleaned up vomit in exchange for food and the freedom to come and go. You probably haven't had an unexplained cut or bruise for a while now, have you? Tom asks everyone he sees. He cannot stop thinking how he never saw the god die. Perhaps there is a new purple-eyed child. He asks everyone he sees, How did you get that cut? Do you remember where you got that bruise? Have you seen a black-haired child with purple eyes, large teeth? If Tom ever receives the answer he fears, he has no plan but terror. Thank you for letting us use that, Karen. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? It just kind of eludes you. You never quite know where you are with it. Working for the God of the Love of Money was published in 2005 in her collection, The Grinding House. I haven't been able to find a copy of that. The novella, The Grinding House, is available, but I can't find the collection. In any event... Karen's website is karenwarren.wordpress.com, and she tweets at Karen Warren. And by the way, she spells her name K-A-A-R-O-N. Karen Warren, K-A-A-R-O-N-W-A-R-R-E-N. She says she made up that spelling because there was an abundance of Karens in her year at school, and she wanted to stand out. Even at 17, she says, I wanted my writing to be remembered and thought a memorable spelling would help. Well, your memorable, Karen, spelling aside. And thank you, Stephen Kilpatrick, the narrator of Karen's story. Stephen, as we all know, because Stephen has narrated so many stories on Tales to Terrify here in the Nook, Stephen is a customer service professional living in Northern Virginia. With a culinary arts degree, he is an avid fan of fiction, the outdoors, and board games, works in information technology, and also recently began volunteering in prisons and enjoys hiking Virginia's old rag mountain. More about Stephen in weeks to come. It's a surprise. Next, we'll hear from Melbourne-based writer Felicity Dowker. Felicity is predominantly recognized as a horror writer, but she's worked in various genres. Her stories have appeared in Australian publications, including Borderlands, Orialis, and Andromeda Spaceways In-Flight magazine. She's a multiple finalist or winner of awards that include Ditmar, Kronos, Orialis, and Australian Shadows Awards. Around 30 of Felicity's stories have been published in Australian and other international zines and anthologies. They include Year's Best Australian Fantasy and Horror, Volume 1. Felicity's debut short story collection, Bread and Circuses, was released by Ticonderoga Publications in 2012. And she says that she hates blathering on about herself in bios, so we too will now stop and listen to... Felicity Dowker's Jesse's Gift. Being a child's perilous. Predators lurk around every corner, and we have so few tools with which to defend ourselves. So many of my friends didn't make it, and those who did, didn't always make it intact. Their scars aren't always visible, but they're there. I made it, barely, though I can't claim to be unscathed. And now, at 36, I've forgotten most of my close shaves. Forgotten them, was ignorant of them in the first place, or I've just blocked them out. Except for one. The ice cream man took my best friend when I was eight, and he almost took me too. 
Jesse gave his life to protect mine that night, and I won't forget that. I promised Jesse I would remember him. Him and the ice cream man. And I have kept my promise. Decades later, I still keep it. Even on the nights where sleep won't come, and I convulse with grief and fear in my cold bed, and a strange song seems to dance in the air around me, and I think I truly might be insane. Even then, I cling to my memories, and I keep my promise. I love you, Jesse. I love you still, and I will always remember. The apple was enormous, a hard red boulder. It hurt like hell when it thumped into the back of my head, and my eyes began to tear immediately. I spun around, holding my throbbing scalp, feeling the sharp sting of rage in my chest. A tall boy grinned at me, white teeth dazzling in his grimy face. He had olive skin, hazel eyes, a snub nose dotted with freckles. His brown hair was clotted with mud. His scabby knees winked at me from below his shorts. He already had that cultish look boys get just before they hit puberty. All long limbs and awkwardness. But he wasn't at all awkward. He could move those gangly limbs as quick as lightning. I knew it just by looking at his whippet-thin form. He was graceful and beautiful and bold, and I adored him at once. My name is Anne, and I'm not scared of you, I said, standing with my legs parted, hands on hips. I glared into his eyes, daring him. If I had unclamped my hands from my hips, he would have seen they were trembling. But I wasn't that stupid. He stared at me a moment longer, taking my measure, and then laughed. A generous sound. I wanted to be the cause of him making that sound again. Often. Kid, you're okay, he said, closing the gap between us with a few lanky strides. He stuck his dirty hand out, and I took it. We shook in the solemn manner of children who understand that everything in life is serious, especially the things that don't seem so. My name's Jesse, and if you ever need a hand with anything, or anyone, just say the word. I smiled up at him. He was a full head taller, and hoped he couldn't tell that I was blushing. Thanks, I said. I will. You're new, he stated. This was a kid who had no questions about the goings-on in his neighborhood. He knew it all. I live at number 36, too, with my mom, in the flat at the top of the drive. You're at the bottom. We're neighbors. We were standing on the street, just past the steep driveway leading down to the four little freestanding flats where we both lived. Fitzgerald Court was a cul-de-sac atop a formidable hill. Mom said our little two-bedroom flat was cheap because nobody wanted to scale that mountain every time they needed something. Few people in the area had cars, and many of the flats were housing commission. The street was full of single parents, like my mom, with their kids, like me. I had been walking back from the shop at the bottom of the hill, where my mother had sent me for cigarettes. They didn't care so much about selling them to miners back then. In fact, in that area, I'm sure they still don't care. I didn't know where he was returning from, but I wished I had been there, with him. Yeah, we moved in yesterday, I told him. I start school on Monday. Rose Gardens Primary? He knelt down for a moment and resurfaced holding the apple he had lobbed at me. He bit into it, crunching with relish. He held it out to me, offering a bite. I leaned forward and took one while he kept hold of the apple. The fruit was sweet and crisp, but not as delicious as the intimacy of the shared moment. It's a posh name, but not a posh school. But I reckon you guessed that. Yeah, I'm in grade three. You go there too? Yep, grade five. I'll walk with you on Monday. Another not question. I nodded. He returned my nod, and we walked side by side back to our driveway. A grin, a wave, and he was gone, consumed by his flat's bright yellow door. I'd been in the neighborhood for five minutes, and already a kid that oozed coolness and capability was going to hang out with me. Well, for the walk to school. And maybe on the way home, too, if I Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. It's lucky, anyway. What are you smiling about? Mom took the cigarette packet from my hands and began to unwrap it as I walked into our lounge room. She was still in her dressing gown, curled into a ball on the couch watching Oprah. Nothing, I said. Just happy. I think we'll both be happy here, Anne. She was already sucking on one of the cigarettes, her eyes flitting to me in quick hope. I really think maybe we will. I think so, too. As long as Jessie was nearby, I had a feeling everything would be all right. Better than all right, even. I still feel that way now. If I sense Jessie near me, I don't feel him often. But sometimes, I think he's there. I choose to believe that anyway. I've got to. Jesse walked me to school on Monday, and home again. He did the same on Tuesday, and by Friday, I was pretty sure I could safely call it a regular thing. We didn't see each other much during the school day. He was a big ten-year-old, and I was a much smaller and less well-known and important eight-year-old. We passed on the oval or in the corridor from time to time, and he always gave me that radiant grin and sometimes reached out a hand to ruffle my hair as he walked by. God, I loved when he did that, especially when everyone saw him do it. True to his word, he was suddenly there if I needed him, when the biggest girl in my grade took a dislike to me, shoving me around behind the bike shed. Jessie materialized and whispered something in her ear. I don't know what he said. He refused to tell me but it made her swarthy face blanch and her lower lip shudder. I even thought I spotted moisture in her piggy eyes. Sorry, Anne, she blurted, running away before I could reply. He was my self-nominated protector, and soon enough, everyone knew it. I was off-limits for bullying and all the other mundane violence and torture that make up a large portion of school life. I was safe, and the name of my safety was Jesse Willis. Don't get me wrong, he gave me a rough time himself on occasion. He liked to challenge and provoke me, and he enjoyed a good battle, physical or mental. It was all the same to Jesse, though I think he preferred non-physical sparring with me. I was so much smaller than him, there was no fun in beating me as we wrestled on the concrete of our shared driveway. It was a foregone conclusion that he would be the victor. Jesse liked to be genuinely tested, and he played some of the most vicious mind games I have ever encountered. No one could push my buttons like Jesse could, but I knew he would never really hurt me. Jesse just had an angry core, burning away, deep down inside where few people could see it. It flamed in measured bursts, but he was always in control. Because he was good, in every way that mattered. Our backgrounds were so similar, we barely bothered talking about them. We had a brief exchange of words, and we're done with it. My dad put my mom in hospital a couple times. So we left him, and then we moved here, Jesse said, dropping a stone into the puddle below us. We were sitting on scaffolding up on the building site at the end of our street. Jesse told me it had been under construction for about five years. The house was an empty shell with no roof. The owner-builder had gone bankrupt and had simply stopped work. We called it the mansion. 
and it was one of my and Jesse's favorite places. Dad tried to kill Mom on my seventh birthday, I thought, willing him to hear me. From my bedroom, I could hear every punch and her screams. Then there was a crash, and the screaming stopped. I thought she was dead, and I knew he'd come for me next. I jumped out the window and ran to a neighbor's house, and they called the police. Mom was in a coma for a week, and I was in foster care for a while. Then we were in a women's shelter, and now we're here. Sometimes Mom locks herself in the bathroom with a bottle of wine and her cigarettes, and I can hear her crying and moaning in there, and I'm scared she's going to kill herself. But all I said was, same here. He knew. I knew that he knew, and he understood. We had sleepovers every now and then. I loved curling up with him in his little red metal bed, him under his boyish racing car duna, me on top of it, and I could just walk the few steps back to my own house the next day. We spooned with the innocence of kids who don't yet know what spooning is, and we told ghost stories until the wee hours. We talked about school. I loved to hear his tales of life as a grade fiver. He had less interest in my retellings of grade three life. It was a small and modest utopia we created, Jesse and I. We were poor kids in many ways, but we weren't bothered by that. Jesse's mother yelled at him a lot, and I'd seen her slap him in the face once. He'd stormed past me into his bedroom, and when I followed, his tight lips and blazing eyes told me not to discuss it. But she loved him, and he loved her, fiercely, like everything he did and felt. I loved my mother, too, with all her neuroses and flaws. Our mothers couldn't afford to buy us the stuff the other kids had, but we had the mansion as our personal plaything more than any other kids could claim, and we had each other. For the briefest moment in time, we were happy. Then the ice cream man came and saw our frailty. Maybe he sensed it, smelt it on us, and all was lost. Of the simple pleasures afforded to your average kid in those days, the pinnacle was an ice cream from the van that made its musical way around the neighborhood streets. On hearing that tinkling in the distance, every child shared a Pavlovian response. We sat bolt upright, stopped whatever we were doing as the saliva flooded our mouths. We descended upon our parents in a flurry of demand, clamoring for the right amount of change. We hopped from foot to foot, hearts beating furiously as our parents took their sweet time gathering the money. Then we tore out the door and onto the street, coins in hand, standing in hopeful bunches, peering down the road each vying to be the first to spot the van as it came around the corner toward us. That was exactly where Jesse and I found ourselves the day the ice cream man came. I'm getting a soft serve with a flake, I said, craning my neck, determined to see the van before Jesse did. The hot pavement was scorching the soles of our bare feet, a pleasant association with the treat to follow. I'm getting chalk dip on mine, he said, blocking my line of sight with his frame as I scuffled for position with him. Green sleeves played on a loop. The tinny melody echoed, ricocheting off neighborhood nooks and crannies. There it is, I yelled, and danced in the gutter as Jesse hissed in disappointment. Green sleeves was suddenly a cacophony blasting down our street. I always think of that van's tune, reverberating through my every fiber. Jangly. Evil is a jangly thing, and its wares are sweet and cold. The ice cream van was a battered beast, once white, but now a chipped gray. Its side was covered from top to bottom in photos and descriptions of wondrous confections. Shakes, too, brightly painted letters informed us. The window in the middle of the van's side was open, like an eager mouth. The van shuddered to a halt in front of us and was immediately swarmed with children. I rushed forward, but Jesse pulled me back. Better to hang back until those vultures are done. We watched the wriggling backs of the other neighborhood children. They looked like mewling newborn kittens, clamoring at their mother's teats. When the last kid had scampered off, licking the melting sweetness from their hand, Jesse and I approached the window. The ice cream man had his back to us, restacking the cones. He was huge, broad, a hulk of a man. The top of his bald head brushed the van's ceiling. The back of his white shirt stretched almost to breaking over the expanse of his shoulders. A sheen of sweat coated the back of his head, and I felt oddly repulsed. For a moment, I thought I might vomit. We should have run away then. I wish we had. 
He was humming green sleeves as he turned around. His eyes, shocking venom green, widened when he saw us. His cheeks were round and red like a painted doll. His tongue darted out from behind his small pointy teeth, moistening his plump lips as he smiled. His translucent skin stretched tautly over him like a full body mask, which is what it really was after all. Why, there you are. I thought all my customers had gone for the day. His delighted voice was shrill and nasal. You two certainly hid yourselves well. His choice of words and recognition in his voice started the slow flip-flop of unease in my belly. Yeah, it's just better to wait until everyone else is done, Jesse said. And I had the sudden urge to wrench him away from the gaping maw of the van's window, run back into my flat with him and hide until the van was gone. A very wise approach, the ice cream man said, his eyes fixed on Jesse's. Very wise indeed, young man. We stood there for a moment, and when it became apparent that the man wasn't going to speak again, I cleared my throat. Um, can I please have a single cone soft serve with the flake in it? He kept staring at Jesse, and then his eyes shifted somehow, and he was looking at me and Jesse. Of course you can, little lady. And you, young man? What can I do you for? The same, but with chalk dip. Oh, mmm, yummy, the man giggled, and it sounded like a pig screaming. I looked sidelong at Jesse and found him already looking at me. He shook his head slightly. Don't freak out, he seemed to be saying. By now I knew I wouldn't eat my ice cream, and I didn't want a single melted drop of it to touch my skin. I sensed danger and I wanted to run and run and run. But Jesse was never a runner. He would stand there until the danger backed down or consumed him, and I wouldn't leave his side. My knees began to shake as the man turned his back on us once again. What names do you two kids go by? Jesse and Anne, Jesse said automatically, and I yelped. He shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have given it our names. Well, Jesse and Anne, I go by the name of Vincent when I'm here. These two treats are on the house, okay? When I see smart kids, I want to reward them. And you two are smart kids. Any fool can tell that, even an old fool like me. He squealed his hideous laugh again and stretched his arms toward us, offering the two dripping confections. I can't take it from his hand. I won't. Jesse gave me a quick glance and then reached for both of the ice creams. Always my savior, always my protector. The man who was Vincent, when he was here, lifted his long fingers and caressed Jesse's hands as he passed the ice creams over. Jesse shuddered, and his head snapped back on his neck, lolling. For a moment he looked like he was about to fall over, and I reached my arm around his back, ready to try and hold him up, but he seemed to regain his equilibrium quickly and flashed me a smile. I'm okay. Just felt a little bit faint. You should go sit down and eat those, the man said, beaming at us, showing off his sharp teeth. They'll cure what ails ya. He flipped a switch to his left, and green sleeves resumed its canned noise. I hadn't even noticed it had been silenced until then. Be seeing you, Jesse and Anne, the man called over his shoulder, heading for the driver's seat. Be seeing you real soon, I hope. Another murderous shrieking giggle, and he was driving off, turning a circle in the cul-de-sac and disappearing around the corner. Jesse and I both looked down at the ice creams he held. As they gleamed in the sunlight, melting white liquid trails snaked towards Jesse's skin. Don't let it touch you, I said, but Jesse had already flung the ice creams on the asphalt, stepping back from them with a grimace. Were they poisoned? I huddled close to Jesse's side and we stared at the gooey carnage on the road. I think maybe they were, but not in the way you might think, he said. I nodded. I knew just what he meant. There was something wrong with him, Anne. When he touched my hands, something happened. He's bad. I don't think he's even human. I heard a moist sniff and realized to my horror that Jesse was crying. He's gone now, I said, but it was a question, not a statement. I hope so. I really hope so, Jesse said, squeezing me. We gave the fallen ice creams a wide berth as we made our way down the driveway. Stay at my place. I said to Jesse, and he nodded. He shivered all night. I knew because I stayed awake, holding him, keeping watch. A few times he whispered, 
No, leave her alone. You stay away from her. My protector, even in the murky depths of his own worst nightmares, always my hero. Ice cream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. I want to forget, and if I choose to, I can. The blissful fog of adulthood can descend over those sharp-toothed childhood memories and erase them as if they never were. But it would mean forgetting Jessie, and I won't do it. Mum was going through another black mood. She hadn't dressed in days. Her dressing gown was badly food-stained. Her hair hung lank on her pasty face, and she stared into the middle distance, eyes glassy and vacant. She still made our meals, and she kept our little flat in decent shape, but she simply wasn't there while she did it. I didn't know where she was, but I knew it was somewhere I couldn't go to bring her back. Going to have a bath, she said tonelessly, moving around the lounge and kitchen area, collecting her cigarettes and a half-full bottle of cheap wine. Oh no. She shut herself in the bathroom and, as usual, turned her cassette player up loud. She seemed to think the noise blocked out the sound of her weeping, but it never did. I think that sound can be heard through anything, detected by some deep, primal sadness sensor in our brains. The music I heard blaring from the bathroom while my mother cried was green sleeves, and in the moment between my eyelids falling and rising in a blink, Vincent, the ice cream man, appeared next to me on the lounge room couch. She's going to kill herself in there this time, Anne, he said in his high-pitched twang, and he chortled his slaughtered pig laugh. I leapt off the couch, terrified keening rising from my throat, backed up against the lounge room wall, keeping my eyes on him. The seat of the couch bowed under his bulk, almost touching the floor. His arms were spread across the backrest like pterodactyl wings, and his ankles were crossed. He looked casual, comfortable, vicious, even through his smile. You're not real, I hissed at him through clenched teeth. You're not here. You can't be here. You're not real. His tongue flickered out from his bulging lips, and I saw that it was forked. Not just forked, but forked over and over again, with at least ten tips, and long. Why, of course I'm real, Anne. I'm sitting right here talking to you, aren't I? I'm one of the realest things in this world right now. The oldest, too. He winked at me, and I realized with horror that his eyelids closed in from the sides, not from top to bottom. What are you? I've come to drink your mother's blood not to chat with you on this particular occasion. He pronounced it particula, like a demonic Colonel Sanders. She's slicing herself up good in the bathroom, and I'm going to help you clean up afterwards. He waggled thin brows at me, grinning. She's not. You just want to scare me. But I threw a glance toward the bathroom anyway. Green sleeves was still blasting through the door, but beneath it, I could hear her sobbing. She was so very sad, but she was well and truly alive. Oh, but I do scare you, don't I, Anne? And suddenly he was in front of me, towering over me, leering down. And he was cold. I felt a bone-numbing chill gnawing at my bones. I knew he wanted me to scream, but I wouldn't give him that. Whatever else he wanted from me, he could just take. I probably couldn't stop him, but I wouldn't give him my screams. Not today. Your mother is dead, Anne, and there's nothing left here for you. Why not come with me now? It's better where I come from. You'll like it there. All the ice cream you can eat, and there's music, and it's never too hot. In fact, it's deliciously cold. Your mother's there now. Don't you want to come in? My mother is not dead, I said, hating the tremor in my voice. And even if she was, I wouldn't go with you. I have Jessie. Why, oh why did I say that? Yes, your little friend. He's there too, Anne. Boogieing on down to green sleeves. Or he soon will be. So who's counting, eh? I shook my head at him over and over. He reached around behind his back and produced three ice cream cones jammed into his huge fist. One for each of you, your favorite ice creams. And why don't you have a shake, too? And he threw them into my face, and they burnt with an icy cold fire that ate into my skin, blazed into my eyes, probed my brain, consumed me. I screamed then as he squealed with delight. 
I slipped down the wall and hit the floor, cold fire scorching me as the world tilted, spun, and fell away completely. When I woke from my faint on the floor, there was nobody in sight, and my face had not been melted off by the caustic coldness of Vincent's ice creams. For the briefest moment, I wondered if I had imagined the whole thing, but I knew better than that. I never told Jesse about the ice cream man paying me a special visit. Maybe I should have. I can't see how, but maybe things would have been different. I never told my mother either. Vincent had lied about her hurting herself in the bathroom. And it hadn't even been Greensleeve she was listening to. She'd had her Joe Cocker cassette playing. We sat on the mansion's scaffolding, dropping leaves into the dirty puddles below and watching them settle lightly on the surface. You're my best friend, Anne, Jesse said suddenly. And I looked at him, startled. You're my best friend too, Jesse. He put his arm around my shoulders and squeezed me, and I let my head drop onto his bony shoulder. We stayed like that for a long time. I'll be going away soon, Jesse said after a while. I jolted upright, instantly terrified. Vincent paid him a visit too, I thought. But I didn't ask, didn't want to make it real. Are you moving? No, nothing like that. Forget I said it. I just want you to know that you're the best person I've ever met. I just wanted to tell you. I love you, I love you, I love you. Please don't let him take you away. You too, I said. We watched while the sinking sun dappled the mansion and us in amber, then crimson, then dusky purple. That is how I like to remember us, in that perfect last moment together, for all time. Just Jesse and me, in our safe place. When the air's chill began to bite, and we heard Jesse's mother calling out his name, we clambered down from our lofty perch and ambled arm in arm to our steep shared driveway. I love you, Jesse said, and then he was gone, running into his house without a backward glance. I had seen the embarrassed flush rising in his cheeks, even in the dim glow from his flat's outside light. I stayed standing there, looking at Jesse's bedroom window, until my own mother called me home. Something called to Jesse that night, probably with ice cream that burnt, and shakes, too. It must have called loudly, because Jesse was gone in the morning. And I know why. Jesse had slipped a note under my front door. But I think I would have known, even without that note. Even if my dreams that night hadn't been set to the tinkling of green sleeves. It's the only tangible thing I have left of him. Left of us. And I've treasured it all these years. Treasured it. Kept it safe. But never read it again. I only ever read it that one time, the morning after Jesse was gone. If my mom had found that note, she would have told Jesse's mother, and that would only have hurt everyone more. Better for them to think he was kidnapped by his father. Better anything than the truth. Anne, I have to go with him. He says that if I go with him, he'll leave you alone. I don't think that he wants to kill me. I think I will still be alive over there. I think they need kids there and it's his job to get them. Look after your mom and mine. She will miss me. I will miss her, but I will miss you the most. You are worth it. Jesse. XOX. I wonder if he still lives in that other place where Vincent took him in the dead of night. I wonder if he regrets. You are worth it. Not putting up a fight. But I'm not sure fighting would have helped him anyway. I suspect it had mostly been Jesse the ice cream man wanted, not me. If Vincent had tried to take us both, we could not have prevented it. I can't imagine the negotiations Jesse must have had with the ice cream man, but I believe that note. Somehow Jesse managed to take the horror from something horrific, even to give it some beauty. For me. For us. How Vincent must have hated that. I was safe, and the name of my safety was Jesse Willis. This was Jesse's gift to me, and it will stay with me. I wonder if he is still ten years old. I think maybe he is. Most of all, I wonder how anyone can hear the eerie jangle of an ice cream van music without going insane. Even before Jesse was taken, even before we saw Vincent grinning out at us from his van, I knew that music for a wrong thing. 
There aren't so many ice cream vans cruising our streets now. When we're too paranoid to send our children onto the streets to receive sticky gifts from strangers. No, not so many traveling ice cream vendors. But I think that somewhere out there, there is still a battered gray-white van rattling down the streets, the window in its side panel gaping open, green sleeves blaring on a loop from the loudspeaker mounted on the roof. Inside is a man who is not a man at all, and his ice cream is something really special. love this story. It has some odd resonances for me, and I, and I want to thank you, Felicity, for the use of Jesse's gift. When I was a kid, we had an ice cream wagon that used to come around the neighborhood. It was a horse-drawn wagon, and the man who sold the ice cream out of it was not a very nice fellow. You could tell that by the way he dealt with the horse. And some nasty things happened, and that's all we'll say. Tonight's story, by the way, Jesse's Gift, was one of the tales that scored a nomination for the Aurelius Award for Horror Short Story for Felicity. Also, along with Alan Baxter and Andrew McKiernan, Felicity is a founder and contributing editor at 13 O'Clock. If you'd like to touch bases with her, she blogs at, I will give it to you, but it'll also be on our Tales to Terrify homepage, which you know where that is. So it's http colon slash slash com. And another effort nobly made by Ms. Antoinette Bergen. Antoinette read Jesse's gift tonight, and I thank you for doing so. Just how many times and in how many ways can I say that Antoinette considers herself twisted, dark, sarcastic, pessimistic, weird, and demented? I've had to say that about her about a dozen times in the past two years. So, Nettie, I need a new bio from you. One that does not include lime jello thoughts, okay? Okay, until then, Antoinette Bergen is the author of Bedtime Stories for Children You Hate, and she can be found on Twitter as at Nettie underscore Bergen. That's N-E-T-T-I-E underscore B-E-R-G-I-N. And she would like it if you began following her. And there, my time is done tonight. Are you all wrapped up for the trip home? There may actually be people abroad tonight. Watch out for dark-haired children with... Uh, what was it? Violet eyes? They may have odd confederates with them. And if on a side street you hear what can only be an ice cream truck trolling the neighborhood in darkness, plunking away at an old English Pasamezzo Antico tune, do not stop. Do not yearn for sweet delights. Head for home. Head for the darkness of your stairs, your rooms, your bed. Pull cats and covers over yourselves and have... What? You know. Pleasant dreams. Hmm? This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. www.districtofwonders.com Thank you for listening.